You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Amen. Amen. You can grab a Bible and turn to um, Hebrews uh, chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And just as we get into our message tonight, just the two announcements you just heard, I just want to give my little kind of two cents on these two um, things that are coming up. And if we can put that slide up, that would be so great. There we go. David Phelps coming. Um, one of the greatest um, gospel concerts that's going to be in the whole GTA is coming up in this church at this place at this time. One of the greatest gifts, too, uh, to the church as well. This is, could be such a great gift, a great opportunity to invite someone as an entryway even into the building here. I want to encourage you with that. Uh, tickets available, of course, um, in our foyer this weekend as well in the bookstore. And then our family Christmas. This is such a great event. This is, these are two things for you to understand. Of course, this is no charge whatsoever, but it's going to be a time you can have family or friends or neighbors. Um, really, it's going to be a simple time, like a carol sing, but also a very meaningful time as well where the gospel will be presented with a time for us to have a joyful singing together. Kids are welcome in every uh, place and area and seat. And just so it's a church family. It's a family, a church family family event. And uh, so we're excited to do this over two nights. And of course, at the end, there'll be eggnog served and stuff. But a time for us to come. And it's such a, a natural place to invite people we love and a chance to say, hey, what's going on inside this church of yours and all that kind of stuff, especially in this Christmas season. All right. So I want to make sure you know that. And again, it's really neat to see how God will use that over um, this season. A Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. I said, here we are in our second week in our series um, oh, the blood, and what we are seeking to do within this series is to understand and rejoice in the new covenant. We're seeking to understand the depth and the beauty of the blood of Jesus Christ and the theology that comes with that. And as we understand it, then we will naturally rejoice in it, how powerful the blood of Christ is, how powerful it is for salvation, how powerful and beautiful it is upon our lives. And I'm praying that it's happening already um, even from our service last weekend. And so just before I go any further, I just want to take a moment to pray and to ask the Lord to truly work in this time. We're expecting great things from him right now. Amen, church? Like even, like even right now, right now. Father, we do pray right now that by your spirit you are moving right now, that your truth will be spoken clearly right now, that lives will be changed right now, that you will get glory right now. Oh, Lord, may it be so. Um, I, your servant, Lord, have nothing apart from you. I can do nothing apart from you, Lord. We can do nothing apart from you. So then every aspect of our lives, I pray, we say we surrender, but we do ask, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. You pray. You say to us, O oh God, that if we ask for your Holy Spirit, how much more will the Father give to them who do ask? And so we do that. We do that now to change lives again, resulting in your glory. Every week, Lord, we pray these prayers because that's why we're here. Lives changed for your glory in Jesus' name Amen. Amen. Again, understanding and rejoicing in the new covenant. I love the song that we sang today, Nothing But the Blood. And I just want to put up the real main content of the song as well, just to go over it again. And here's what we sang today. Almost each verse we sang, but what can wash away my sin? See, this is the point of the series. We're starting to come as we get to a place of singing and rejoicing together as we understand in fresh ways and new ways. Sometimes for the first time we'll understand these things. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the the blood can do this. For my part in this I see, for my cleansing, this my plea only found in the blood of Christ. Nothing can for sin atone, not of good that I have done, no good I have done. 
but it's, it's, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that atones for my sins. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Every ounce of righteousness that I might have or you might have is fully and only found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Every single bit of righteousness of any good in us is solely because of the cross and the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Glory, glory, this I sing. All my praise for this I bring. You see, when you understand, you rejoice. When you understand the blood of Jesus Christ, you rejoice in the blood of Jesus Christ. This I sing with all my praise. And of course, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How beautiful he is, how beautiful his blood is. That's the opportunity within the series, and that's the opportunity today as well. Unpacking the power, the significance, and listen, listen, the salvation that is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing right now together at this service. Oh, the blood. Here's the sermon title. Oh, the blood, my salvation. Oh, in the blood of Jesus Christ, I find my salvation by grace through faith. So we have much to do, and we have little time. So let's get right to it then. Here is the salvation that is offered through the blood of Jesus Christ. Four main things from our passage today. Here's the first point. It's this. His mediation, my inheritance. His mediation. This is what the blood of Christ gives us. It's salvation in Jesus Christ. His mediation, my inheritance. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Make sure you got a Bible to check this stuff out. This is exciting. It says, Hebrews 9, verse 15. Therefore, building off of our passage last week and understanding how much we receive in Christ and his blood, therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. He's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The critical and beautiful concept that is found in this verse is that Jesus Christ is our mediator. And as we know or need to know, a mediator is someone who intervenes between two parties, two or more parties. A mediator comes to establish or restore peace between two or more parties, to restore friendship between two or more parties, to restore fellowship between two parties. So Jesus Christ then is the mediator, listen, between a holy God and sinful man. God is here in his holiness, man is here in his sinfulness, and God cannot dwell with anything but that which is perfect. So man has no hope on his own, because man tries to run and jump over the chasm of sin and death. Man tries to jump with good deeds, tries to jump with his own righteousness, tries to jump by saying a certain amount of prayers, but every time in the end, man is still sinful. And the Bible tells us not one sin, Revelation 21, not one sin, not one unclean thing will ever get into heaven so man in all his efforts over all time will never be able to, to uh, bridge the chasm of sin which leads to death and get to God. 
This is why we need a mediator. A mediator comes between sinful men and God in the form of a Savior, meaning the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ, we now see the bridge to go from our sinfulness through his righteousness, and that's our pathway to God. The cross opens up the curtain. It opens up the presence of God. The cross now allows Jesus Christ to become between us and God and allows us to now be saved by grace through faith in the cross, in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of the only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We cannot get to God on our own. We need a Savior. We need a mediator. And it's because Christ pours out his perfect blood for us. You see, listen, listen. At the moment Christ dies, at the moment Christ dies, for all those who believe by faith in his life and death, For all those people who believe by faith, their sin falls upon Jesus. And the righteousness of Christ falls upon the person who believes. This is called the great exchange. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's awesome. Me and my sin, when I place my faith through the grace of Jesus Christ in his life and death, my sin goes upon Jesus. Astounding. And then the righteousness of Christ comes upon me. God no longer sees me as sinful. He sees me with his son in me. He sees the righteousness of his son. This is what Jesus Christ does as our mediator. And then at the moment, this is so beautiful and so great, at the moment you are saved by grace through faith, the way to God is now open, fellowship with God is now restored, and listen, we actually become, ready for this? We actually become children of God. We actually get adopted into the family of God. So if you are a child of God, and you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and your sins have been washed away, listen, ready? I love saying this. God has got a picture of you in his wallet. That is so awesome. And let's update those terms. God has got a whole roll of pictures in his phone of you, all right? And he's going through it. And I saw, I saw a new dad for the first time this week. He was a dad for three days. He's a staff member in our church. And I saw him. He came to visit and pick up some stuff. And his, he looks so tired but looks so happy. You know what I'm saying? Like he is like bloodshot eyes and his hair was messy. But he was, he was on fire with joy. And sure enough, I walk in, oh, congratulations, congratulations. And sure enough, two minutes later, there he is in a whole group of women gathered around. He's got some pictures. And he's showing pictures. He's so proud of his son. Listen, you have no idea how proud God is of you. You have no idea showing you off and saying, look my daughter, look my son, look at how much I love him because the son, that my son in his blood has washed my daughter clean, has washed this son now clean because of their faith in the righteousness of my son, not a righteousness of their own. Again, this is where it gets so, so incredible. You become a child of God by grace through faith, and listen, you end up, when you are adopted to God's family, you end up in the will of God, meaning the last will and testament of God, and that's the point of Hebrews 9, verse 15. I mean, check it out right there in verse 15. It says, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. So think about this. You and I, Before Christ, sinful, placing our faith in the forgiveness of sins, we get a Savior. We are now saved. We were sinful, then we are saved. When we are saved, we become an adopted child of God. But it doesn't stop there. When we're an adopted child in the family of God, we gain the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We share in the same inheritance that is given to Jesus Christ right here in our text right now. You know, a lot of us, we get excited about earthly inheritances. 
We think about that, and I hope we never wish anyone to pass away, but we get really excited, oh, one day I might get this, and in an earthly sense, trust me, trust me, the moment you die, the only inheritance you'll care about is the inheritance of whether or not you have it in Jesus Christ. That's the only one. The only thing you'll be thinking about is where do I stand with Jesus Christ? And you're here right now, maybe I pray you would have enough wisdom to know, listen, loved ones, eternity is a very long time. Eternity is a very long time. Do not live for now. Live for what will be. And that's when the earthly stuff's just gonna pass away. And the glories of Jesus Christ will live forever for those who love him, who have believed in him. His mediation, my inheritance, number two. His blood, my forgiveness. So look now at verse 16. It says this, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now what this is saying here is this. A will, a person writes a will for when they die. A will only takes effect when a person, of course, dies. As long as they live, the will does not apply or the will does not take effect. But once the death occurs of that individual, then the will that they have written down becomes active. Another way to say this is that the estate of a man or woman will not be distributed until he or she dies. And the point the author's making here is this. The new covenant, eternal life of Jesus Christ, being adopted into the family of God, does not take effect until the death of Christ. The author's saying to us here, Jesus had to die before the inheritance could be given out. Because when Jesus Christ dies, listen, death dies. John Owen wrote a book, and the title is this. It's such a great title. It, the title is this, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Jesus Christ died to put to death death itself. When Jesus Christ dies, death dies with him. And so therefore, when we believe in Jesus Christ and we get his righteousness, death no longer has any hold on us. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Instead, we get the inheritance of Jesus Christ, which is eternal life in him. That's how powerful the blood of Christ is. His blood equals my forgiveness. This is true for the Old Testament believers. If the pulpit is the cross right here, the Old Testament believers are looking forward by faith to this event in Jesus Christ, and they are saved by faith through what would happen at a later date. And New Testament believers, we are looking back at the event that we know occurred through Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, and we are saved by faith at this event too. Whether in the, in the present or in the past or the future, everything is centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything is here when his blood was shed. Look now at verse 18. Verse 18 says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Notice the word blood, how many times it comes up now in these, in these verses. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship, Indeed, verse 22 is very important. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without, this is the most important verse right here, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the topic now shifts specifically to blood. Six times 
and five verses is the word blood used. What's happening here is this. By God's design, God required sacrificial blood, listen, to atone for sins. And this is because sin is so serious that only blood can cover it. This is the Old Covenant system. Virtually every part in the Old Covenant system was touched by blood in some form or another. And what we know or we need to know is this though, the blood of an animal can only go so far. The blood of an animal is a temporary atonement, a temporary covering. And so what we're learning in Hebrews 9 then is the patterns or the types in the Old Covenant are ultimately pointing forward to the reality of the new covenant which is only found in Jesus Christ. We are learning right now in Hebrews 9 that the tabernacle, as important as it was with the sacrifices that occurred, ultimately the tabernacle is foreshadowing the heavenly tabernacle which of course is Jesus Christ. The first Passover, when God's people being saved from Egypt and the blood on the doorposts, that was an amazing event as they were rescued from the grip of Pharaoh. But the first Passover is ultimately foreshadowing the ultimate Passover found in the Passover lamb, as Peter calls Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb of God who would die at Calvary and shed his blood. The same way Jesus at the Last Supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is poured out for you. This is is the new covenant in my blood. You see, everything in Scripture is pointing to the one, to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why the key and fundamental principle in verse 22 again is this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why is this true? Why is this true? Because life, loved ones, is in the blood of another. Life is in the blood of another. Our blood represents our life. No blood, no life. Look at Leviticus 17, verse 11 on the screen for you here. This is God explaining the system of atonement through blood. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Notice, notice. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Blood is found, life is found in blood. So let me say it this way. Where sin takes away life, blood gives back life in the terms of forgiveness. Let me say it this way. Forgiveness does not come because sin is excused. Forgiveness comes because sin is transferred. Sin is transferred, it must be transferred by a sacrifice, a sacrifice of life, a sacrifice of blood on behalf of another. This is why animals were sacrificed, but the problem with the animal sacrifice is the blood of an animal is imperfect. And therefore, an imperfect sacrifice cannot fully cover or match a perfect sacrifice. This is why then the blood of Jesus equals my forgiveness because only the blood of Jesus is perfect. And that is why then when Jesus is on the cross in John chapter 19 and he says, it is finished, that is one of the most glorious statements in all of scripture. 
Because Jesus says, and it is finished. That is an accounting term meaning literally paid in full. The payment has been made. Because the perfect blood of the perfect Lamb of God is about to be shed for the sins of the world. Notice that God never required the blood of a man until he required the blood of his own son. That's love. His blood, my forgiveness. Point number three. His sacrifice, my freedom. This is the salvation found in the blood of Christ. Look at verse 23 now. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Why? For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, listen, listen, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So what the author does now, he compares again the temporal earthly sacrifices of the old covenant with the heavenly eternal sacrifices of the new covenant. Notice in verses 23 and 24, notice the old covenant system served as a copy of the new covenant, meaning the old covenant was a copy of a lesser degree that was serving as a pattern for the greater copy, the greater or the greater covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus sacrifices himself in love, he doesn't enter into a human-made Old Testament tabernacle because that is temporary. No, when Jesus Christ sheds his blood, he gives up his life, he enters into, it says, heaven itself to satisfy the once and for all payment for our sins. And I need you to see here how this event of Christ on the cross forever changed the world. Hebrews 8 tells us that the moment Christ died, the tabernacle or the temple became obsolete. Now stay with me here, okay? God institutes the tabernacle. The tabernacle is replaced with Solomon's time as the temple. The temple, because of the sin of God's people, is destroyed by the Babylonians. God, in his sovereignty, allows his people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. King Herod, in the time of Jesus, enhanced and expanded the temple. The temple was the very sign of the very presence of God. When Jesus was born and he was walking through the temple, he promised and prophesied that every stone in this temple would be torn down. Now, it was in AD 70 that the Romans came in under the rulership of Titus, and they destroyed the temple. Why did that happen? And the temple has never been rebuilt since. 2,000 years later and 2,000 years before Christ, the temple, so important, everything to God's people, but it's never been rebuilt since. Why? Because the temple has been rendered obsolete with the death of Christ. Don't you see? Don't you see? When Jesus Christ dies, the temple's no longer needed. And so what I'm telling you is just historical fact. These are just facts of history. There is no Jewish temple been reconstructed for all these years because it's not needed. Because now we had a temple in Jesus Christ himself. And he sent his spirit on earth now. Whoever believes in him, they become the temple of God. They become where the Holy Spirit dwells. The church is not a place. The church is a people. 
This is the beauty of what happens within this text. This is what the author is saying to us. The author of Hebrews wants us to see the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. I want you to see it too. Look at this chart here on the screen. The comparison of the old versus the new. This is what happens in scripture. This is Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. And the old covenant is a high priest who is sinful. Temporary atonement. And the new covenant is a great high priest, Jesus Christ. He is perfect. Huge difference. Old covenant, many sacrifices, year after year, month after month. Jesus Christ, once and for all sacrifice. One sacrifice, no longer anymore needed. Old covenant, earthly tabernacle, made with hands, an earthly tent. Jesus Christ, new covenant, heavenly tabernacle. The temple of God came to dwell on earth and to save us from our sins. Old covenant, yearly atonement. New covenant, eternal atonement. Once and for all, saved forever by the blood of Christ. Old covenant, law of sin and death. Never had full relationship or access to God. New covenant, law of the Holy Spirit and life. Old covenant, blood of an animal. New covenant, blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Old covenant, written on tablets of stone, Ten Commandments. New covenant, written on the hearts of God's people prophesied and promised by Jeremiah, now experienced by us who have been saved truly and Jesus Christ by grace through faith. It's awesome. This is what the blood of Jesus Christ has accomplished. And back to our text, now look at the main point of verse 25. Check out verse 25, it says this. Uh, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation um, of the world. So listen here. Christ did not enter into a place made of hands, and Christ did not enter using someone else's blood. Rather, the text tells us that he entered into the holy places with his own blood. Now, why is that so important? Because if Christ took someone else's blood, then it wouldn't be perfect blood. And if it wasn't perfect blood, then the sacrifice would have to be made again and again and again. And this is the problem with the doctrine of transubstantiation. That's a big word for the church, the aspect of different parts of Christendom, which believe that in the Lord's Supper, transubstantiation, they believe, is when you take the, the bread and the, and the juice or the bread and the wine, that it literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ again. So every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you, you believe in transubstantiation, that it literally becomes his body and literally becomes his blood. Now Hebrews 9 blows that apart. Hebrews 9 absolutely smashes what that would be false teaching because that would mean if it literally becomes his body and blood, then Christ, every time we remember the Lord's Supper, he's sacrificing himself again and again and again. But the whole point of Scripture here before us is the whole point of the once and for all sacrifices was just that. It was once and for all. There's no more sacrifices being made by Christ. We just remember symbolically what he has done for us that one time. But don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Look again at verse 26. Second half. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this isn't a continual pattern of sacrifice to deal with continual sin. No, no, no. no. Listen, listen. When Jesus died, it was finished. And notice it says there, to put away sin, not just to cover sin, but to defeat sin once and for all. This is, this is the glory of the gospel. 
This is the incredible nature of the good news. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, sin is defeated by his sacrifice, and therefore I have freedom. This is why Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, loved ones, if you're free, you believe in Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven of your sins. The Bible tells us you will be free indeed because his sacrifice leads to my freedom. His mediation, my inheritance. His blood, my forgiveness. His sacrifice, my freedom. And finally this, fourthly, his second coming, my longing. His second coming, my longing. Look at verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. I love this, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. These verses are exciting, but these verses are serious. Notice in verse 27. We'll die once. Every, every, every man, everyone will die once and then judgment. Notice the Bible. I mean, you're here right now, and maybe you're like, how did I get here? Listen, listen. There is one life, you have one death, and one judgment. We all have one life. We will, I die, we will all die once physically, once, once, once. And there's one judgment. The truth is upon us right now. And the text says right there that Christ has been offered to bear the sins of many, meaning not all will believe in Jesus Christ. Of course, the majority will not believe in Jesus Christ. But for those who do, they receive the payment. They receive forgiveness of their sins because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I love, though, verse 28, how clear this is. Verse 28, it says here that Christ came once to deal with sin. That's the first advent. That's the incarnation. Advent means appearing or coming. His first coming, he came to deal with sin. But notice in his second coming or the second advent, he's coming not to deal with sin, meaning this. He hasn't come again to sacrifice himself again. That's been done. That's been done. But rather, when he returns, he returns to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the hope of the Christian life. It's the longing for the fulfillment and the completion of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Notice this too. This is great in our text. Notice the word appear appears three times. The word appear. Can you see the word appear three times in the text? This is explaining the three different tenses of our salvation. On the screen for you here, this is, I love this kind of theology. This is so great. Let me explain this to you, okay? Let's get that on the screen here. Notice this. In verse 26, it says, He has appeared to put away sin. That's him coming in his life and death. We have been saved. It's the past tense. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been saved. This is also called justification. You are innocent in the sight of God. Past tense, we have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, now to appear. He is now to appear in the presence of God. Currently, God is doing this. Jesus Christ is doing this right now on our behalf. So we are being saved. Christ appears now in heaven. And this is sanctification, meaning we grow more like Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are being transformed we are changing into his image. We have been saved past tense. We are being saved present tense. And now, of course, the future. Verse 28. He will appear. And when he does appear, he's going to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Loved ones, we shall be saved for those who have placed their love and faith in Jesus Christ. This is called give it up for glorification. Amen. All right. That's going to be a fantastic, fantastic day. And 
you want to clap for that? That's clap for glorification. Amen. That's awesome. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's our hope. And loved ones, this is why we long. This is why we get excited. This is why we live. This is why I proclaim Christ and you do right now because we eagerly wait. Again, remember, I mean, someday soon the trumpet's going to sound. The, the trumpet's going to sound someday soon. I, I, I kid you not, it was like two weeks ago, and I was sitting there with my wife, and I think we were just kind of sitting in our bedroom and a cup of coffee, and I heard the strangest sound in the distance. It was so odd. I'm like, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? You know? And it's like, oh, it's, it's not it. But I just, every moment, I'm just sitting, I'm waiting. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen. And just, and just the, whoa, whatever it goes, it's just going to come rushing across those. And then all, the, all that matters in that moment is, do I know Christ? Do I know Christ? Have my life been spent for him? Have I honored him? Have I loved him? Has I believed in him? Have I lived for him? Do I wait for him? Do I long for him again? Do I love him? Charles Spurgeon said, it ought to be a daily disappointment when Jesus does not come. Every day he doesn't come, we should be disappointed, right? That's true. That's so good and so true. Listen, this is why we wait. This is why we anticipate. This is why we eagerly wait as well. And you know what? I know there are some People here right now in this room that are eagerly waiting. Like right now, they're eagerly waiting. Listen, they're eagerly waiting to get baptized. Now listen, what is baptism? Baptism is standing publicly to declare that Christ has saved me and I live for him. Baptism is I'm a child of God. I have the inheritance of Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and I'm now free in Jesus Christ as well. Baptism symbolizes, symbolizes that the blood of Jesus has washed me, and now I live for him and him alone. Baptism is obedience to what Christ commanded, but baptism is not a chore. Baptism is a joy that gives the Lord glory. Baptism found in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission itself. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Great Commission itself, the command for baptism is seen and heard. Baptism is standing and declaring, I love Jesus Christ, and I cannot wait for his return. This is why I love baptism so much. And as I said, we have some right now who are eagerly waiting and ready to be baptized. And what we get to do right now is we prepare for you to do that. We get to see you stand up and exit this room right now. And uh, hey, why don't you just stand up? Those who are getting baptized right now. And you have a teacher, son, where are you? You can just stand up right now. Where are you? Don't be shy. Where are you? Where are you? There you are. There's a couple. There's a couple. Amen. 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 You guys can go out that door right there. You gotta give it up for them, church. We love them. Give it up for them. Amen. Amen. Go that way. 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 Go that way too. Amen. We love them. We're excited for them. We're cheering for them. Right here, man. Give me a high five. Right here. Right here. Amen. Amen. And you'll be blessed, man. Amen. Amen. Cheer him on, man. He's not alone. He's not alone. Amen. Baptism is so great, and we take it so seriously here because of all that I just said and all that it just means. But listen, this weekend, and um, this is such an exciting time for us as a church as well. That's so great. I love that. Cheering on the hallway because this is somebody to celebrate. Listen, tonight that may or may not be all the people who are being baptized this weekend. 
that may or may not be all the people who are being baptized this weekend. We believe the Lord is at this point leading us to give an invitation for those of you that are here right now and you're in this service. And listen, listen very carefully. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You know you have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been set free and you are saved. But you have yet to be baptized. You have yet to do this for one reason or another. I want to invite you right now for the glory of Jesus Christ that today would be the day that you rise and are baptized because Jesus Christ has saved you and because you want to testify to the glory that he deserves through your life. Now, when we do this, there are always excuses that come to the mind and the hearts of those sitting here right now. Let me go through the top five excuses again of why people do not get baptized, all right? And I want to shatter these one by one, okay? Because this is what it comes down to. We're going to put these up on the board here. The top five excuses as to why people do not get baptized. The number one excuse is this, I'm not spiritually ready. Now, let's make sure the Bible speaks on this one right here, okay? The only requirement for New Testament baptism is genuine conversion. That's the only requirement, is that you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ. If you are here right now, and you have been saved, and you've not been baptized, it is time to get wet, okay? Some people say, well, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't figured out victory over certain sin. I'm not holy enough. Listen, if that was the standard, no one would ever get baptized, because no one achieves that level. That's the whole point of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us the righteousness. So let's just put an X through that excuse right now. That excuse is done, all right? Here's a second excuse people don't get baptized. I'm scared to talk in front of people. Okay, now listen, Jesus Christ died for you. You can speak for him. Died for me, speak for him. He died for you, you can speak for him. Listen, all you have to say is, I love Jesus Christ. He paid for my sins. He's my Lord. That's it. Under the water. Praise God. How glorious that is. You're scared to speak in front of people? Listen, that excuse is gone. Cross it off the list. Number three, um, my family's not here. What are we? What are we, chopped liver? Come on now. The family of God. The family, the family, the family of God is here to cheer you on. And listen, listen, listen. And we will get video if you need it. We will get video and you can send to the family members who were not here, all right? Listen, we are the family and we are here together to do this right now, okay? So cross that excuse off the list as well. Here's the fourth excuse. Um, I don't have any clothes to change into. You don't think your family's going to take care of you? Right? You don't think that? We have, we have shorts and shirts and towels and shirts to go under shirts. We have hair elastics for women. We have hair dryers and hair straighteners. And we have people outside wedding ready, ready to help you out on every level. We have it all figured out for you right now. All right? We do. Amen. Amen. So cross that one off the list as well. All right? Some of you right now, you're getting very nervous. All right? And that's, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The last excuse so many people say, I'll wait until next time. This is the next time. You said that before, and now we are here. This is the next time. And it's time for you to give glory to. You're not, you're not ashamed of your Savior. There's no way. Then prove it by this first step of obedience embedded in the Great Commission itself to say, I'm going to rise and be baptized. I love what Ananias said to Paul in Acts 22. And why do you wait? And why do you wait? Listen, listen to you today. Rise and be baptized. And why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. All right, the excuses are gone. They're just gone. It's you and the Lord. It's you and the Lord for the glory of the Lord. And you're here right now, your heart's going like this, man. You're going like this? That's, that's the Lord speaking to you. Now's your time because we love you and the Lord is calling you. 
So here we go. Who, right now, in this place, is the Lord leading to get baptized here and now, at this time, in this place? Let me see you stand. Who's getting baptized tonight, loved ones? Who's getting baptized? Amen, man. That way. Go that way. Amen. Right there. Amen.